How we doing? Welcome back to the Art Podcast, Lesson 16. I am your host, Joe Karsanovich. Chapter 50, Japan Strikes from Pearl Harbor to Midway. If you're new to the show, the format will be key terms of context, a little chapter narrative summary, and a little discussion. Again, just me this time, but we are working on getting much smarter people on the show to help everyone out. Uh, rolling right into the key terms here. Keep in mind, this chapter is also known as, in other places, as Japanese Years of Victory. First key term here is Singapore. So as you'll, we'll talk about in the chapter, Japan basically attacked through um, Malaya. And it was just this whole big campaign in the Pacific. You, you serve yourself well if you just give a quick check, pulled up the map. I'll put a link to the, a map of the Philippines in the, that surrounding area uh, up there. But take a look at that. Basically, home of a key British naval base and the defeat of Singapore basically unlocked the region to the Japanese and allowed them to move forward with uh, a good base of fire, good base to fire from uh, for the Japanese. The Netherlands East Indies, next key term, was also a key Japanese target because they needed a lot of resources to fight this war. They're running out of oil and they needed airfields. So by securing the Indies... Resources and safe maritime line of communications, they, were, they would be able to supply their Japanese factories. And the capture of Singapore would lead to the capture of the Netherlands East Indies. little side note, this is kind of what brought the United States in. Um, as we'll see with the next key term, the ABDA Command. That stands for the American, British, Dutch, Australian Command. Led by the next key term, Archibald Wavell. Wavell, either way. Um, notice that there are two A's and the America comes first. Typical. Um, but basically this command was tried a way to get the Allies all united together. Out in that area basically brought the Americans into the war in the Pacific in a real big way at this point. Um, a little bit about Arch- Archibald Wavell, as we'll call him, the leader of the ABDA. Honestly, my personal opinion, he was pretty weak. Um, the way the chapter portrays him is a pretty weak, reactive leader for those PL fans out there. Um, he underestimated non-European armies and generally just berated generals when they didn't do things right. And when we get into the chapter narrative, we'll see how his weak command structure basically led him to just lose an area and then fly in, yell at the general to take back that area. Not, not a great way to do it. It's a way, though. Next is... Douglas, duty on our country, MacArthur, commander of U.S. forces in the Far East. Um, one of the things they talk about in the chapter is he was the hero of Bataan, basically a battle where he was buying time for the rest of the island nations to get their stuff together. Um, even though he was fighting a losing battle, he held on way longer than most people thought he could. And uh, he was the one who really talked about Luzon as a strategic position as we'll get into more later. Uh, finally, final key term, Battle of Midway. So some people call it the Midway Miracle. Basically, what you got to know, battle lost by the Japanese. It was sort of a turning point in the war. Um, the Allied forces were huge underdogs. They were going into the fight with three, only three aircraft carriers against a far superior force. And one of those aircraft carriers was 
just basically pieced back together after Pearl Harbor and put back out in the fight. The key here at the very end of this chapter, especially in the Battle of Midways, they talk about this this thing that I think should have been a key term. It's called ultra intelligence. Basically, our code breakers broke the Japanese code and were able to know the Japanese strategy, which was to attack at the Aleutian Islands to try to draw the Allied forces there um, as a sort of feint to try to outmaneuver back onto Midway with a far weakened force. But Nimitz, uh, Admiral Nimitz, was smart enough to use that ultra-intelligence, didn't fall for the attack on the Aleutian Islands, and was able to defend Midway with pretty bold tactics. They had to launch these uh, torpedo attacks, these bombing raids, these dive bombers against fleets that were barely in range. The Japanese were pretty far away, and they just barely had enough fuel to get to them. Battle of Midway was eventually won by just the Americans stumbling upon a destroyer that was retreating back to its fleet, followed that destroyer back to its main Japanese fleet, and then uh, another fleet of Americans able to happen upon that same fleet and basically destroyed a bunch of aircraft carriers all at once. And uh, basically, in summation, the Battle of Midway was really important because it stopped the Japanese offensive thrust. As we get into this chapter narrative here in a second, you're going to hear a lot of lot of overwhelming Japanese victories, and the Battle of Midway essentially stopped that and finally put put us on uh, even playing field in the Pacific, at least for the time being. Final key term skipped, we'd like to go back to real quick, is the Battle of the Java Sea. It's the largest engagement in the last two decades. Like I said, go back and check out that map. It's really important. I don't understand aerial naval battles very well. But long story shorter, allies lose because the Japanese air and naval forces were able to sync up um, and that, that proved very important. We'll go over it more in the chapter narrative. But that wraps up key terms. Moving right along to the chapter narrative summary. Just a quick heads up, this is a pretty long chapter. I'm trying to go slow um, and try to really hit the important parts. I'm not going to dive too deep into what plane or what ship did what. It's not really the focus. The focus is largely for most of the chapters why the Japanese were able to dominate so much, why the Allied forces were largely unprepared, and the strategies that each side used to try to uh, negotiate this battle in the Pacific. Definitely encourage you to check out the maps for specifically Coral Sea and the Battle of Midway because I think they'll help you out a lot. But starting in the intro, one of the discussion questions is understanding why Japan didn't go attack uh, Russia. And Japan and Russia already had some bad blood. They were in the middle of a conflict over a region, full-scale conflict against Russia over the region of Manchuria. And just as Russia was closing in, Russia and Germany signed a non-aggression act. So Russia basically makes this deal with Germany, and Japan, one of Germany's allies, basically understands that, great, Germany's not going to fight against Russia in my defense, so I'm going to have to try to take on Russia all by myself. This is not going well. What do we do? Eventually, Russia calls a ceasefire. Both of them call a ceasefire. And Japan turns its focus south for a number of reasons. Obviously, try not to fight the entire Russians all by themselves, Russian nation all by themselves. But also, they want to take that opportunity with everyone looking towards the West, use their Eastern sphere of influence to try to block the Chinese supply, trying to take advantage of these Pacific islands that they had all this access to using uh, all sorts of different naval vessels, aircraft carriers mostly. And so that really frustrates the West. That really 
really don't like that, uh, especially the United States started putting on economic sanctions on Japan. And then the Japanese respond to these economic sanctions as, as you know, all people should and allied with our enemies, Germany, Italy, um, to put pressure on the Americans. And then basically Japan is like, all right, now we've really, we've really done it. Now we're going to have to prepare for war. And, um, basically they, they negotiate with the Soviets to secure their Northern flank, create a Japan Soviet neutrality pack in 1941, in April of 1941. And then planning to secure the oil rich Netherlands, East Indies accelerated direct quote from the book. These Netherlands, East Indies, as we talked about really big resource for Japan and Germany invaded Soviet Union and confused Japan again, again, and just Japan is just not on the same page with their supposed ally. And so they were thinking, should we attack the Soviet Union with Germany? Should we strike south? Um, basically said, hey, let's just go south and figure it out from there. Again, more more sanctions from America. No oil going to Japan. Japan really needed oil. So essentially, this is this is what leads into Pearl Harbor. Because they needed to, Japan needed to seize these needed supplies, attack the British on the same day or in and around the same day, and um, really just trying to take control of that South Pacific area, just trying to cripple the British and Americans and buy themselves time. And essentially, there's a great map in the reading. Japanese wanted to draw a circle around the Pacific, really just blockade the entire Pacific so they could have the resources for themselves in preparation to push north. Uh, to fight and help defeat the Soviets and run through China as well. Next section titled First Strikes really goes into Pearl Harbor and all the devastation that these two waves of Japanese planes really just wreaked havoc on the Americans. Basically, the only things that were truly like spared were some aircraft carriers and surprisingly a lot of inshore infrastructure and oil tanks had the Japanese had a third wave of planes that were not downed by fog that morning. They could have easily had a third wave that would have destroyed a lot of inshore infrastructure and those oil tanks and oil servicing stations and things like that, which would have forced the American fleet back to the West Coast, significantly reducing our sphere of influence. But because that third wave never came, we still had enough infrastructure to get our ships back on board and enough defense to give ourselves time to really rebuild and refit our fleet in the Pacific. The commanders at Pearl Harbor were relieved because they really didn't prepare um, defenses for something like this. Also on that day, MacArthur um, on some islands out west didn't move planes, even though he knew about the attack on Pearl Harbor 10 hours later. The Japanese came by and destroyed a lot of our planes on the ground over in um, some more islands to the west. And this basically allowed Japan to attack to the south with no threat from the Americans from the east, less a threat from Americans from the south because MacArthur didn't move those planes. To this day, people don't know why he didn't. Um, basically, Guam, Wake, Gilbert Islands all lost in a very, very short order. Essentially, the major factor that this section really harps on is the underestimation of the Japanese and a lot a lot of it came from racism um that's what chapter harped on a lot and that's just that was just reality at the time no one thought the japanese a non-european force could really take down 
Allied forces, nonetheless Americans, or not the least of which Americans. And, but they did. And so basically they were so savagely attacked and, you know, a day they'll live in infamy. All of those things led into what people would call war without mercy. Um, it was going to be an all-out war against the Japanese, and it was going to be bloody. And uh, everyone basically was bracing for that. Next section entitled Malaya brings in a key term, Singapore. This entire section was basically about the Japanese push overland to Singapore. They had a two-pronged attack. Just check out the map. Uh, make sure you know where this area is just kind of, so you can kind of understand the geography. Essentially, it's this peninsula that they were the Japanese were going to attack down the west coast and the east coast and then meet and find their way to Singapore and they did it in very short order they they did a very good job that's the theme of this chapter Japan just basically dominated its way across um this area um the hitting the landing was a decisive operation um once they said that was a decisive point decisive effort all of those good terms saying that if they could land and they could push on on, onto the, on towards the objective, they would win as long as they had a solid foothold. So the strategy for the Japanese was to just push hard and fast in the, into the interior. They had like a, a stormtrooper-esque mentality of just like, hey, just push through the strong points, just keep fighting, get through, let everyone else clean up at the end, just go as hard and fast as you can into the interior and get onto the island. Uh, Singapore was defended with superior numbers. But as the theme will go with the rest of the chapter, even though they had numbers, they did not have the skill, equipment, technology, and I would argue they didn't have the leadership that could get it done. They also had no air cover and no tanks. The Allied side had no tanks because they did not consider tanks to be applicable to a jungle setting. Japanese did. Um, And so essentially the strategy was the Allies knew it from the jump that it was going to be, quote, a relentless withdrawal down the island, basically just trying to buy time, buy time, buy time to reinforce Singapore. And they just they just needed to try to maintain those northern airfields to keep pushing back on the Japanese. But eventually, those airfields got run right through. Uh, they tried their best to destroy stuff, but actually what happened was some allied forces blew up some airfields to try to make it to deny use to the Japanese or at least delay use and it destroyed the morale of the local people so then they from there on out when they were going to destroy an airfield they weren't allowed to blow it up used with explosives they had to destroy it other ways so and then those airfields were those fell into Japanese hands very quickly the British ships were destroyed sunk almost immediately the Japanese flank were able to outmaneuver, flank, avoid, and continue pushing through on the on the peninsula. And basically, things things didn't get much better uh, on the Allied side because everyone agreed that the Germany fight was more important. It was Germany first, so the most important forces and support was going to the Western Front, um, and not nearly as much in the Pacific. However. This is where the ABDA, the American, British, Dutch, Australian command came together, allied to protect the specific reason, region. And then you had Archibald Wavell, the commander. Uh, he, he doubted uh, a non-European army like we talked about before. He blamed generals every chance he got. He headquartered the ABDA headquarters about 1,000 miles away in Java. And he only flew in when the enemy was about 250 miles away from taking Singapore. 
eventually they just all get blown out of their last stand and the Japanese are quickly able to take the top third of Singapore, but still met stiff resistance once they hit the top third. Um, that seemed to be where the Allies could really pull themselves together, at least for the time being. Interesting in this end of the Battle of Singapore, basically the Japanese were nervous, ammunition and rations were running really low, and the stiff resistance really frightened the commander, and they just basically threatened to annihilate the Singapore garrison unless the Allies surrendered. And the Allies did. They uh, they just surrendered 100,000 troops in Singapore. J- Japan eventually took over 130,000 British Empire troops prisoner and just suffered huge casualties on the Allied side, more than double the battle casualties of the Japanese, which is really a tremendously embarrassing loss for the British Empire. The next section entitled Java. Java is basically this this another part of these Netherlands East Indies. The goal of the Japanese the whole time is this island that runs about west to east and it's just south of the Java Sea where a key term, Battle of the Java Sea, will occur. But bottom line up front, Japanese secure Java in a week. Much faster than they anticipated, the Japanese decided to move up its date of attack because they wanted to attack before the Allies could concentrate their forces on Java. And they, the Dutch would destroy the oil fields if they knew the Japanese were coming and they had time to destroy the oil fields properly. So for these two reasons, Japan attacks much faster and it works out for them because they went way fa- they just ran right through the island. Their plan was to isolate the island with air superiority, sea superiority, and land dominance with the infantry on these different little Dutch garrisons on surrounding islands and areas. They just want to make it made sure that they couldn't be supported from islands. They did a very good job of this. Um, they just went from place to place, dropping paratroopers, and just ran right through these islands. And about 100,000 Allied forces, including what the book calls 500 U.S. Army field artillerists. Field artillerists, which is something I've never heard F.A. people have been called before, but that's, I guess, a technical term. But they didn't have any technology. The Allies really were just underprepared, even though they had the manpower. Underprepared tactically with the supplies they might have needed. And so... Essentially, all the Allies could do is just fight as long as they could, burnt the oil fields as they retreated, just essentially Java was cut off to the east, and the Japanese aggressiveness versus the Allies' inability to concentrate forces led to this quick, overwhelming force of the Japanese. Next key term, Battle of Java Sea. Spoiler, Allies lose. Japanese torpedoes um, explode prematurely early on in this battle. And both forces, I mean, Japan was winning early in this battle, but and so the Allies retreated. But the Japanese also retreated because those torpedoes were going off early, and they scared themselves into a retreat because they thought they were running into Allied mines, and later came back because they got their aerial support online and attacked the Allies who were in uh, who came back to the fight, and this air force and naval combination by the Japanese led to victory because the aerial forces were able to spot their targets, help the Navy out, and this is very quickly led to Java's domination. They had to surrender, and essentially the Japanese demanded an unconditional surrender, broadcast the entire area so that they didn't have to go fighting little pockets of different nations' armies. So that's how the, the Allies lost Java very quickly. 
Next section is entitled Burma. Talks about chapter the intro paragraph talks about how if Java was super important to the Japanese, Burma was an afterthought. It was very important to the United States because it would help keep China in the war. Because if Burma gets cut off um, by the Burma Road, that would uh, also threaten India, which is Britain's most important colony. So strategically, Burma needed to be saved because it would keep China and Britain in the war. And America definitely needed that. Everyone needed that. Um, But Japan didn't really realize that at first. Didn't really have anything to defend it with. The the standing army there had little numbers, were largely untrained, undermanned, didn't have any technology, of course, just not prepared. Um, Just the story of this entire chapter, really. Japan um, surprisingly invades from the south. So not only were the Allies unprepared, they were surprised by the Japanese. And this aggression really, really scared the defenders and ended up uh, running away, and our boy Archibald Wavell was not very happy with his generals uh, there, and he basically came back, chewed out that general, and told him that he needs to win back what he had lost in Burma. And this this little bridge, this all you need to know is there's this bridge, this uh, Sitang Bridge, was the final foothold. But in in an effort to protect it, they made a good tactical decision to try to move past it to protect it, so they could fall back. However, it was not a good operational move, according to the chapter, because they could not properly defense the bridge. They couldn't, like, imagine that you can't put up sea wire and mines and all these explosives if you have your boys on the other side of the, of the bridge. So it was a good move to try to gain territory and gain land on the enemy, but really, they had to fall back against it anyway. And honestly, it just didn't work out for them because they had to destroy the bridge anyway. And they cut off uh, a lot of the Indian forces stranded on the other side of the river. So that that was really just a terrible, terrible move. Ended up blowing up the bridge anyway and getting a lot of guys killed um, because they couldn't make the right operational decision. Uh, Rangoon, the capital, was in a lot of trouble. They're advancing there. And um, it was this is honestly the last outpost before the United States and the Philippines. And the enemy, J- Japan, was able to run right through to the capital, and now is going to largely depend on the United States and the Philippines to try to hold this Pacific together. This section, titled Philippines, talks about the 31,000 troops that were built up in November of 1941 before Pearl Harbor. General Douglas MacArthur, key term, commander of U.S. Army Forces Far East, insisted that there be more buildup in the Philippines before Pearl Harbor, and then um, in December... Right after Pearl Harbor, like we talked about, the planes were on the gr- caught on the ground and were destroyed. A lot of them were really destroyed, and that wasn't really good. And eventually lost Luzon, retreated to uh, Corregidor. Probably didn't pronounce that right, but that's okay. Um, and retreated to the Bataan Peninsula and had to keep retreating, keep retreating, keep retreating. Eventually loses... Um, Loses Bataan, but it was it was a losing battle the entire time. But it would be defended for a very very long time. The American Filipino line was extremely strong in the face of a far superior force. Repeated counter U.S. counterattacks continued to fail, and they were just by by January the defenders of Bataan were just all all but lost. Japan calls for reinforcements, and they were forced to leave the Philippines. 
and uh, MacArthur finally departs Corregidor March 12th and arrives in Australia to a hero's welcome because everyone knew that he was able to buy time and there was really no way he could have defended um, that area. But this eventually led into the Bataan Death March, 60 miles of uh, marching in the hot sun with no food or water, um, left a lot of men dead um, from harsh treatment. And Japan, at this point, had won everything. They had won every island, everything they had gone for, every peninsula. And this was just stage one. Um, And they they were able to just knock everything out. And this really set the stage for the Southern Pacific Campaign for Japan. Final section entitled Coral Sea and Midway begins with talking about the Doolittle Raid by Lieutenant Colonel Doolittle. Basically, these planes, these B-25 bombers... Um, launched off of the deck of the U.S. Navy carrier Hornet in a one-way attack on Japanese city. One-way attack. You're flying a plane loaded with bombs to attack major Japanese cities, and there is no plan to get you back because of fuel reserves and all of that stuff. So the chapter doesn't really go into it, but I'm going to go into it for a second. That's That's truly heroic, truly a crazy thing to think about. Think about the crew and the pilots that took on this mission. If you land in Japan, there are already stories coming back about how brutal the Japanese are to prisoners. Honestly, your best case scenario is a crash landing somewhere in China, hoping they don't shoot you and think you're a bad guy, or maybe make it to Korea, or maybe try to ditch in the ocean. But if you get shot down and land in Japan, it's going to be some bad news. And these Doolittle Raiders, chapter doesn't emphasize it, these Doolittle Raiders really were heroes, all of them. And these attacks drew the Japanese farther into the Pacific more towards Midway and into the Coral Sea, which is the subject of this section. Coral Sea, this is it's, it gets pretty complicated, so I encourage you to look at the map. Essentially, want to be very clear on this, the entire purpose was to try to gain this Port Moresby. Port Moresby, northeast of Australia. Just make sure you're referencing that map. Northeast of Australia. Try to get this port and further seal um, the Allied forces in Australia, and then eventually from this port, they were going to launch more attacks on Australia and try to gain those northeastern ports and cities on the Australian continent. But what happened was that they were going to try to obviously attack the Americans, gain these ports, continue to fight along these islands, and move to northeast Australia, as we mentioned before. However, they were they had a hard time finding each other, both forces, and they were really just searching around the ocean. They came as close as 70 miles from each other, still couldn't detect each other. And then eventually the Japanese hit first. United States hits back, sinks a bunch of Japanese ships. The Japanese det- retreat and Port Moresby's once, so things are looking up. Things are looking great. And then we get to the key term, the Battle of Midway. Some references the Miracle of Midway. The book, the chapter likes to say that it wasn't so much as just a stroke of luck on the Americans' part, but more of just an operational strategic failure on the Japanese part. And a lot of this has to do with, I don't know why this isn't a a key term, like I said before, but ultra-intelligence. We were able to crack the Japanese code and able to figure out what they were going to do before they did it. That's how we were so successful at the beginning part in Coral Sea. That's also how we were so successful at the Battle of Midway. This is the very first battle lost by the Japanese. Uh, Americans were big-time underdogs there. 
Uh, we only had three aircraft carriers, which was like the main fighting force at the time. And one of those aircraft carriers, it was supposed to be in port for 90 days to be fixed. It was fixed in three days because they basically shut down everything in Honolulu, sapped all the energy out of the grid, and put it all together in three days. How they did that, I don't know. People say it was barely floating. But anyway, back to the fight. The Japanese plan that the Americans knew about were that they were going, the Japanese were going to attack the Aleutian Islands to try to draw the Americans away from Midway. But Admiral Nimitz, whose name is like everywhere at the Naval Academy, uh, Nimitz knew better. He knew to keep his forces at Midway. Knew, uh, he needed to stay prepared. And um, basically he launched all these attacks, Nimitz did, all these att- bold attacks when the Japanese were barely in range and things weren't going great. And then what people would consider a stroke of luck, others would say a Japanese blunder. Uh, American fighters and bombers found a lone Japanese destroyer to, to follow back to the main fleet and attack. And a second force came up, destroyed those three carriers, and uh, continued on to victory. And essentially, the big thing you need to know about Midway, other than just going and checking out the map for just a general overview, this basically was a big a big uh, attack against the Japanese. Offensive thrust just stopped them in their tracks. They lost all, mo- all momentum. Uncle Mo came back to the, the Allied sideline, and everything was going to be more neutral out in the Pacific now. And we were just going to continue on from there. Moving right into the conclusion section, because this podcast is getting pretty long. Um, The conclusion basically talks about how the Allies were unprepared, indecisive, had a lot of wishful thinking that these uh, Japanese forces weren't going to be as good as European forces, and had poor operations. But ultimately, the ultra-intelligence was what saved the Americans in the Pacific at the very end. And then it took a lot of heroics and bravery and, honestly, boldness on the on the part of Nimitz to really defend Midway and to push back against the Japanese. This concludes the chapter summary narrative. We're going to go into a short discussion here for a second and just talk about what I thought was pretty important in the chapter. Moving right along into the discussion summary section, just going to make this brief. want to talk about the MVKT, the most valuable key term, um, all of these are obviously important, but I think the one if you were going to really know about, and I think that might pop up as an ID SIG, would probably be either the uh, Netherlands East Indies, which would be less obvious, but all you have to say is a key Japanese target, secure the uh, Indies resources and safe maritime line of co- communication for the Japanese. It would supply the Japanese factories. And the capture of Singapore led to the capture of these Netherlands East Indies. You can throw in stuff about how Java was just... A mess. How they had to surrender so quickly. How they were not prepared to defend these garrisons. How Japan was able to mass its effects really quickly, move around, get its air, sea, land superiority in that order. I think that would be a great ID sig for them to throw at us. I think, uh, you know, honorable mention, Battle of Midway. I think that's something that everyone should really understand and know. Uh, it basically halted the Japanese advance. Had we lost Midway? That island, that critical island, could have led to Japanese attacks on mainland America, and certainly to Hawaii, um, and then later on to mainland America, which definitely could have been devastating um, for all involved. And a key term that wasn't a key term, um, but I would like to say again for the third time in this podcast is a key term, the ultra-intelligence. If you mention that in a essay, that'll be... That'll be lights out for you. That'll be really good. Remember, that's, again, the Japanese code was broken. We called that 
ultra intelligence that led to successes in the Coral Sea. We understood that they were trying to maneuver to Port Moresby, so we moved to defend. And it was also important to know what the Japanese were going to do at the Battle of Midway. And I think in this discussion, I'd just like to talk about the focus on the leadership. I think that would be another great thing to bring into your papers, and then I'll end on that. Um, Just talking about the ABDA command, how it was kind of four nations, a bunch of different languages going on because they were trying to not only use British proper but also British colonies. That was very difficult. Um, Wavell, the commander, had a very difficult time handling all of that, and I think that that for a big reason was why um, they were just not early on successes. And the Americans and British were really seemed like they were half in because they, they already all agreed Germany came first. So they weren't sending as many troops or units or anything like that or supplies there. They were doing the best they could, but they were really not fighting with their full strength. Uh, And I think, you know, talking about Douglas MacArthur, we all love him here. Great guy, but, you know, all told in Pacific, he he really came onto the scene, really made a blunder at the beginning, not putting his planes in the air when he heard about Pearl Harbor. Should have done that. Obviously, hindsight's 20-20. Who knows? He probably might have had an idea of why he was doing that. But as the commander of the U.S. forces in the Far East, you would have liked to see him try to win some land earlier on. But he had to—he he bought us a lot of time, so you got to give him credit for that. He was fighting a losing battle with troops that weren't that great, bought us some time. He was the hero of the baton, and he knew Luzon was important. And we're going to all write good papers about Luzon, so we'll all learn about that in depth. Don't need to go into that here. But talk about the leadership uh, of the ABDA and of MacArthur. It seemed like they were very responsive. They were, they weren't on top of things. They weren't down there with the troops, pushing them forward. And I think that was just that was just a, a big reason why there wasn't a lot of unit cohesiveness and a lot of reactive leadership that just ultimately led to the loss of the Pacific. Because what they needed, they had the troops, they had the numbers. They didn't have a unifi- uh, unified front. And the Japanese were able to have the aggressiveness to take advantage of that. And in the fog of war. Allies really, really had a tough time, um, and that's really all I'd like to talk about and discuss in this chapter. So I'm going to start closing out podcasts with some shout-outs. So I'd like to close out Lesson 16 here on uh, February 20th with a shout-out to the women's basketball team headed out to BU this weekend, uh, their final pay- away Patriot League game, going to uh, take out some Terriers. So good luck, ladies. Also give a big shout-out to Q's Week, uh, Army Men's Lacrosse, here with uh here in Scott 5244 with first team all roommate number 53 captain Connor Glancy um, who will also be on the show later this week so you have that to look forward to I'm sure the energy will be very high as we get closer and closer to Q's week um, so shoot in your questions Do you have any questions you'd like to ask uh, Connor just let us know we're gonna bring him on the show it's gonna be great we're gonna talk Millart uh, winning in the dome. And, you know, PA lacks probably. So just tune in for that one. Really excited. As always, love your feedback. And uh, good luck with the whole Millar thing.